you're listening to the GNU World Order. My name's Klaatu, and in this episode, we're going to start going through all of the bin utils in Slackware, shipping in the D for development software series. So what we do on this show lately is go through every single binary package installed, in this case, on Slackware. But these are pretty universal tools. You, you probably have them installed on any Linux distribution that you have, or you can get them really easily. And binutils, or binutils, is one of those packages that, that often does not come installed by default because many modern Linux distributions don't presume that you're going to be compiling software necessarily, that you you are, are very likely to simply live off of your distribution's repository. Now, that's an unsafe uh, assumption, generally speaking, on Slackware, because Slackware has no repository. It is, you, you get the distribution, and that is what you get in Slackware. Everything else outside of the Slackware disk, or image, that you, that you download in order to install Slackware, everything outside of that image is up to you. You have to get that software and put it onto your system somehow. And very frequently, that, that means you're going to go get the source code and compile it for yourself. Now, of course, we have helper scripts called Slack builds, and they make that job relatively easy. We have sites that collect Slack builds, such as slackbuilds.org, so that all you have to do really is run a script that someone else has already written for you and tested. It, it, it's, it's pretty simple. But that process, that very common process, it requires it requires the, the certainly bin utils to um, do essential tools when 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 do, building a complex software project. So we're gonna tackle bin utils. It's it's a pretty long list of of packages in bin utils. That lots of little utilities. So we'll be here for a while. Before we get into it, though, I want to, and this is a related topic, I guess, because you'll recall a couple of episodes ago, or maybe just the past episode, I don't know, I'm, I'm recording these out of order, um, but recently we've talked about make files, and make files are little scripts in themselves that control the flow of compiling software, or or maybe they, they don't control the flow, maybe they, they define the flow and the order of when you're building software. In the episode about makefiles, I stated that I wasn't really too sure about uh, like what the selling point of makefiles were. I didn't I wasn't I didn't feel confident that I quite understood why makefiles were still a thing and I mentioned that in theory you could probably do everything that you would do normally with a makefile just with a shell script. And I asked if anyone listening had any insight into what made makefiles so special. And Jim Zat uh, as he calls himself in his uh, email signature, Jim Zat, a, a listener, uh, emailed me with his real-world experience in in this very subject. So here's his email to me. I'm an embedded software engineer, and I've been writing make files as part of my work for over 20 years, and beg to differ with your opinion that they are less than helpful compared to bash files. The code base I am currently working with consists of over 423 source files and more than 197 header files within 97 directories. So I'm going to interrupt here. Um, wow, that's a lot. Of, those are a lot of big numbers. So this is Klaatu speaking now. I'm commenting on the email. He says over 423 files, more than 197 header files interspersed between 97 directories. It's amazing. So anyway, here he goes again. The beauty of the make system is that if one file is changed, only those files directly affected by the change are compiled, whereas a shell build script would need to traverse the full file tree 
and rebuild every file. Additionally, I have written make files to create and publish websites back before Web 2.0 and even build and launch applications customized to the user. If the makefile designer takes the time, you can even start with a generic makefile or create a help target and walk the user through the process, which makes variables to modify and what they do. This is Klaatu again. So that's his email, and um, it's just so darned interesting to hear his his you know real world experience with this stuff. The 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 concept. I mean, the key takeaway here, I guess, is that he says uh, the beauty of the make system is that if one file is changed, only the, those files directly affected by the change will be compiled. That's obviously significant. So if you have a need to control your workload uh, in a build system of any kind, then make files might be something we're going to want to look at. And now we all know why. Okay, so let's get on to this bin utils package. I'm going to take a look at slash var slash log slash packages slash bin dash utils ils and its own description or the package description rather says bin utils is a collection of binary utilities it includes as the portable gnu assembler ld the gnu linker and other utilities for creating and working with binary programs these utilities are required to compile c c plus plus objective c fortran and most other programming languages okay so First one in that package is ADDR2Line, and this is kind of a, an, an interesting one, not something that I've ever used before, not something I imagine I'm going to use often, but here's what it does. It translates points in a in memory space to a file path on your system. So this is a debugging tool. This isn't something you're going to actually use to compile software. Um, on, uh, I, it's a bit weird to start, I guess, bin utils with something that actually doesn't do the thing that it that, that bin utils claims it's it's so so important for. But that's okay. Uh, this is a valid thing. Um, well, it's a somewhat valid thing. It, it's a little bit weird, and we'll see why in a moment. Uh, and it's, it's it's mostly because I don't have a really great way to demonstrate exactly what's going on here. But that's okay. I can fake. We can fake our way through this. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to open up a file that I created for, I think it was a Hacker Public Radio episode called debuggy.cpp, and I am going to cause it to hang infinitely. I'm going to write an intentional infinite loop. Just put a, a while loop in there. One is greater than zero. While that is true, we're going to, um, I don't know, just assign a variable to a random number, or a random number to a variable. And that's that's all we'll do. And then maybe if we say if num divided by two equals 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 zero, then that's a curly brace, of course, because I'm writing in C++ here. Uh, curly brace, print f digit number. So we'll, we'll print numbers forever as long as it is the number. Oh, and that's not correct. That shouldn't be divided by two. That needs e modulo. Okay, so we've got a little program here that's going to occupy our terminal, and you'll see why I'm doing that in a moment. So G, I mean, and really, I mean, I could, in theory, do this with any other application. It's just that I don't happen to have an application that will idle in the background form that happens to be compa c compiled with debug symbol. In order for a, um, in order for adder to line to work, it does have to have the debug symbol compiled. Can't remember if it was in GNU World Order or Hacker Public Radio that I was talking about GNU debug GDB. I think it was Hacker Public Radio, and I think that was where I said, or that's how I, that's where I was talking about compiling things with debug symbols built in. So for this little sample application that does 
pretty much nothing. I'm going to do G++, that's the C++ compiler, G++ dash O A test. That's just the output. I'm going to name it called A test, just because that way it's easy to find for myself. So that's neither here nor there. You could call it anything. You could call it penguin, whatever. Dash O A test. And then we're going to do dash G and dash G as in GNU. I don't know what that stands for, actually. Debug. G bug. Hard hard G, I guess. So yeah, it's it's the debug flag for, for G. So we're, we're compiling debug symbols in, and then we'll point it to my source file, debug.p. That should be everything. Okay, that seemed to have worked, and so now I'm going to start a test in my current terminal. Wow, it's printing very quickly. And so now I'm going to go over to a different terminal, and I'm going to do pid of, which we've seen that one before, if you'll recall, the series we talked about pid of, I think it was something that came with psng, something like that. It's a, it's a package um, on Slackware. Anyway, and I've talked about it. Pid of, ATAS tells me that the pid for this is 12... 858. So I'll copy that, and I'll go back over to my occupied terminal. I no, I no longer need this to be running, so I'm just going to cancel that, Control c out of that one. And I could do a... Th there's a couple of different ways to attack this situation here. And one of the different way, one way is to look in slash proc and then the PID number, which in this case is 12858. And actually, if you look there, you'll see... Oh, right, I do need this to be running. Forgot I was about to do that. Okay, so running that again, going back to my other uh, terminal, and back to what I was saying. So, my application is running, so it has a PID, and now I'm going to need that new PID again. So, PID of a test. Okay, so now it's 12874. Now, if I do an ls in slash proc slash 12874, actually, I'll just hit return there. There's a bunch of files and directories, sim links, and things like that in here. And these are all attributes of that process. It's a handy place to know about. It's not something that, I mean, I've gone years without knowing that this existed, so it's not vital, but it's something to be aware of. There's one file in here called maps, M-A-P-S, like a, like a chart, like a map. And if we hat that file, so cat slash proc slash 12874 in this case, slash maps, there's a lot of information about sort of, well, it's, it's about the address space. Lots of different columns here, and and some of the, one of the first one is the memory address range that that is occupied by by this part of the process. Second column are, are the permissions. They look deceptively like file permissions, but they're really memory space permissions. They do have some things in common with file permissions. For instance, write execute. Uh, then there's another um, flag though, which um, is could be s for shared or p for private. All of these are private. And then after that, there's an offset count, and then a device des um, a device identifier like the, what is it, vendor ID and product ID or whatever. So, uh, well, yeah, so there's that. And then there's um, another value, which is just slipping right out of my head right now. And then finally, the, the final column is the location of the file responsible for this thing. So the first three lines of my maps file here in 12.8.7.4 right now point to slash home slash clat2 slash demo slash a test because those are the things that are that that's the the file where that that's the place where the code lives uh, that's occupying that memory address but if you if you look further down in this in this uh, sequence you find other other addresses and other that that point to other files so you have uh, a greatly different address here that points to libs slash libs64 libc 2.23.so and further down there's some libs64libm-2.2.so and and so on so it's kind of an interesting overview of kind of well how the memory of your 
system is being used by, by, by each little process. So that's something to explore, I guess, on your own at some point. But what I'm going to take away from this right now are address space. And for instance, we could get, we can take one of these address spaces. I'm going to take 0040000000000. A lot of zeros. I don't know how many. Um, and I'm going to do a adder two line dash e. That's the executable of a test dot slash a test. And then I'm going to do dash, uh, do dash f for function. I want to see the function if one's associated with it. And then dash j dot t e x and then, and I'll explain some of this in a moment, or at least the part of it that I actually understand. And then finally, I need to provide an offset of where I want to start looking in this in this binary file. Oh, and actually now, I actually can stop, and I'm going to stop it from running in the background just to, to confirm that that's got no, nothing to do. The fact that I was running the application to get its PID, well, so I had to run the application so that I could get the PID, so that I could then analyze what it was doing with memory addresses on my system, so that I could get some address spaces, some sample address. So that was the, that's the reason for all of that. I was, I'm only looking in the slash proc slash pid slash maps file because I needed to know whereabouts in the memory space everything was situated. That's that's the purpose behind that. Um, and now that I have that, so an idea of what's of, of what gets occupied by a test, I can now look around. So here's what I'll do. Adder two line dash e dot slash a test dash f for function dash j to narrow to, to um, yeah, to narrow in on the, um, the section of, of the information that I want. So in this case, what really matters is the .txt section. And what that means is that you're looking into, you're looking at the um, the instruction of a binary. So you're not looking at, at other aspects of the binary, like the values of the binary. You're, you're looking at the instruction portion of that of the binary. So dash j, or I guess dash dash section is the long option for that. Dash dash section or dash j, uh, and then the other, what was the other one? Oh yeah, dash dash functions is the other one. That just gives me a little bit of extra output, not a whole lot. So we're just, I'm just starting at the beginning here with zero offset, and that ought to be the very start of my application, which in, in C and C++, it ought to just be, uh, the function should just be called underscore start, and then who knows what we'll get, so we'll find out. Uh, so 0x00 is the address space, or the uh, offset. And sure enough, for my function, I get underscore start, and then I get slash root slash glibc dash tmp dash a number, and some other numbers, and some other path element, and so on, and then colon 63. So what that means is that the file responsible for the information occupying that memory slot is on the left side, that's the file name, that's the path to that file, and then the colon 63, in this case, is the line number within that code, or within that file, that is, uh, that, that, that kicked off that information. So, it's a lot like GNU Debugger, or I guess Valgrind, either of those, and if you are, why are you listening to me about Adder 2Line? You should be uh, recording an episode about this topic for Hacker Public Radio, honestly, so that I can learn even more about it, because I'm totally faking my way through this. Um, so that's Adder 2Line, I guess. The other, there are other ways to, well, and there are other values we could look at too, right? I mean, we've got a whole listing of map locations here. Uh, so what if I do for in Adder 2Line dash E dot slash A test dash dash functions dash dash Section dot t e x t and then for my offset I'm going to do zero x 
1641. That's a deregister underscore tm underscore clones crtstuff.c unknown f- uh, line number for that. Interesting. And yeah, anyway, I mean, once you know the address spaces, you can mess around with the offset all you want and kind of kind of walk through the memory uh, spaces of that are occupied by by that by by that application or by that file, whatever. And it, it adder to line maps it to a file so that you know uh, what's causing whatever you're looking for. And that's kind of the that's the other half of the story that I have no example for. Um, you would have to presumably know why you're looking at this memory address space. Is there corrupt data there? Is there data that I thought should be there that isn't there? And so on. Uh, and I, I, don't, I don't have a way to, to emulate that. So I won't. And anyway, I'm looking at my mug and it is empty, meaning it is time for a coffee break. Let's go get some. We'll come back. We'll talk about AR. Not augmented reality, just an archiver. <laughs> coffee, you'll be happy because, frankly, the next tool isn't all that exciting, but again, with enough coffee, practically anything exciting. This is AR, which is the GNU Archiver program. I don't know why this still exists or or exists uh, when there's tar. I don't know the significant difference between the two, and I, I didn't necessarily find anything technical about that subject, except maybe some of the options that AR provides, for instance, to make what they call a thin archive, which contains a symbol index and references to the original copies of the member files and things like that, so maybe TAR doesn't do that. I don't know. Didn't really look into the TAR side of things because I was really up on AR, and AR, or I guess I could just say R, R, um, it creates archives. It is considered relevant to bin utils because it is the, the our archives are very frequent to bundle libraries together holding commonly needed subroutines so when you see things like i don't know libfoo.a that very well could be it probably is an ar archive so we can um can delve into an ar into the ar command by let's just create an archive shall we let's do it let's do it by the the man page because this is kind of a fun activity to experience i think so um let me get a different uh, i'll get two two terminals terminal windows up here so i'm flipping back and forth uh while i do that i will just note may have also seen the ar tool pop up in another context specifically when you're d d unarchiving a dot deb file so if you've ever had to deconstruct a dot deb file debian installer file for any reason which i've done a couple of times i, I sometimes not often, but sometimes I steal a a, a, pa- a, a yeah a package that has been built for Debian and run it on Slackware. You can do that by just extracting the Debian file and putting it into a Slackware package instead, installing it, and it works sometimes pretty well. It kind of depends on the specifics of how how it was compiled, but that that's frequently an option. So for whatever reason, well, not for whatever, because .deb files are archived with AR, you can then unarchive AR as well. Okay, uh, let's see. So we've got got a man page up here for AR, and the instructions say, this is the man page, says AR, create, modify, and extract 
from archive AR dash capital X 32 underscore 64 optional dash P bracket mod close bracket and then some other optional things like plugin target relative position count and then archive the name of the archive and then the member of the archive. And reading its own description, it says the GNU R program, the, the GNU R program, AR, uh, creates, modifies, and extracts from archives. An archive is a single file holding a collection of other files in a structure that makes it possible to retrieve the original individual called members of the archive. Okay, so we know that we need to name the archive, and we've got members of the archive, and then we've got the, the, the very first of it all is AR, followed by letter P, and then some kind of modifier. And it kind of, it explains that GNU AR allows you to mix the operation code P and modifier flags mod in any order within the first command line arg wish you may begin the first command line argument with a dash. The P key letter specifies what operation to execute may be any of the following, but you must specify one of them. So what that is saying in 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 not a terribly clear way, I don't think. And maybe you do, but to me this it took me quite a while to understand that P was being used as a variable because it didn't really correlate the letter P didn't really correlate to anything that wouldn't I, I that I felt would normally be used as a modifier. So it was a little bit confusing to me that, that the letter P was there and I, I I took it literally. I thought they literally meant to use the letter P. Now interestingly the letter P is an option. So you can rather safely use P in, in front of many operations because the the letter P signifies print the specified members of the archive to the standard output file. If the V modifier is also specified, show the member name before copying its content standard uh, out. We're not going to do that, but that's just for your information. You can actually do that. And the info file, by the way, shows a capital P. So that's a capital P and then mod. And that's that's a little bit confusing as well because now you've got two similar instructions that, that refer to different, either, either neither process or to a different process because capital P means, uh, where is it? So use the full path name when matching names in the archive. So anyway, AR and then the operation that we want to, well, okay, let, let's try this a couple of times. The operation we want to do is create an archive and we want to populate the archive with two files. Let's call them foo and bar or actually easy.yaml and hello.java. This is my demo folder and it's got a bunch of files lying around and none of them are called foo and bar. So um, we'll do that. So by the letter of the man page, I think we should be able to say AR space P and then C, I think, is create. Let's scroll down and try to find create an archive. It says, okay, so there is a C and it is create the archive. However, that is considered a modifier. However, however, there is this P command that we should be able to use, right? So we should be able to say AR space PC and then could say, apparently, if I'm reading this man page correctly, uh, it says P mod, got that, relative position count archive and then member. Okay, so we should be able to say my archive dot A, which it doesn't, by the way, it does not tell, it doesn't say in at least in the man page, it didn't say. I don't remember seeing it in the info page either. It didn't actually tell me what extension to use. So the fact that it was a .a file, I mean, it doesn't matter. Could use something else. Could use .ar. It's just interesting that that's not there because it is such a common format for certain processes. So you kind of wonder how people who are making those libfoo.a files, how they knew to just call it .a and not .ar or something, .arc for archive. Who knows? Anyway, my archive.a, and then we're going to put in easy yaml and what did I say? Hello job. Hit return, and I get an error. ar my archive.a, no such file or directory. 
So that's confusing to me because according to the man page that I just read and the info page that I read earlier, AR and then the letter P, either capital or lowercase, depending on which one you read, and then some modifier, and the modifier I I use is create, and then the name of an archive, and then the members of the archive. That, to me, says, to me, it says very clearly that that should create ar- myarchive.a, adding easy and hello to the archive. I mean, am I wrong? Am I am I, am I crazy? Is that not what the man page said? I don't know. I would love for, if, if you have insight into why the documentation would say that, I would love to hear it, because the sample command here, AR, capital P, and then modifier. That's the info page. Lowercase p modifier for the man page. And, and the lowercase p for sure, according to this to this documentation, both in the man and info page, lowercase p is definitely a command. It is a valid operation, rather. That's what they call it. The p letter specifies what operation to execute. It may be any of the following. And so p is print, and then c for modifier. Or c as the modifier for, for create. So anyway... Point is that doesn't work. That's not how you do it. I do. I find that frustrating, though. You know, when you're going to learn a command, read the documentation. It, admittedly, I think. Uh, well, I don't think I, it's it's confusing. Ar and then the letter p. We I I still don't know to this day whether they're literally meaning the letter p or whether that's a variable. But I'm, I believe now it's a variable. But why on earth they a capital letter p or a lowercase p, depending on which doc you're reading? I, I cannot really imagine. I, I don't know why that would have been the variable that they chose. I guess you have to use something, right? I mean, yeah. So anyway, um, there you go. That doesn't work. So then you kind of play around and maybe you do AR space C just for create, even though that's not that that's not documented as an operation. That is documented as a modifier. And I'm led to believe that those two different those two things are different types of, of instructions. So AR space C space myarchive.a, so I'm hoping that I'll create myarchive.a and then add easy.yaml and hello.java into it. AR, no operation specified. So now we're back up to the top of the doc where it says that an operation is required. And the operations that I have to choose from are D for delete, M for move, P for print, Q for quick append, R for insert the file files member into archive. That's interesting. S to index, uh, add an index to the archive. T for a table listing. X to extract. Definitely don't want that. So the one that sort of catches my eye as I scan through the possible solution is the R letter. So I know, I, I think that I know, yeah, myarchive.a still doesn't exist yet. So it hasn't been created like as, as part of a part of an initialization kind of thing, even though it errored out later that doesn't exist. So I'm just going to do AR space R and then C because I want to create my archive as well. Easy YAML, hello Java. So that's my intuitive conclusion here. Do that and it doesn't give us an error, which usually leads me to believe that it that it works. So I'm gonna do an ls my archive dot, dot a. Yep, that does exist. It has it's a small thing, but the, the files that I added to it are also small. So that was the successful combination of it. Alright, now that we get the syntax down, let's kind of look through here and see what else we've got, got on offer. Well, T is display a table listing the contents of archive or those of the files listed in member that are present in the archive. So it sounds like I can get a I can get a list or I can get a list of just a specific one. So let's try that. AR space T space myarchive.a 
sure enough, it gives me easy.yaml and hello.java. So then if I do art myarchive.a and then let's just do .yaml, so that sh that should that should limit my search, as it were, just to that file, and that's exactly what happens. It shows me that. Now we'll give it a false value foo. We know that's not there, and it says no foo, no entry foo in the archive. So that's really quite useful. So those, I mean, I've just read you the the commands, the operations rather. Some of the modifiers that you have available are things like a for. So this would be, for instance, if you're adding, like, if you're doing ar space r again to add a file to the archive. One modifier to r again that you could use is a for add new files after an existing member of the archive. If you use the modifier a, the name of an existing archive member must be present as the rel pose. That's the relative position argument before the archive specification. So this is kind of cool, and this is kind of what I was talking about. One of the things that I was talking about when I was saying I wonder why this exists if there's if there's tar like why why bother well I I I read through tar documentation pretty extensively but a long time ago so I could just be forgetting that this is possible with tar I don't remember it being possible with tar but I mean I guess after a fashion it must be is that true no I don't no I don't think that's true yeah actually I had a fake memory there that I got rid of. So AR space R to add, I think, right? R to add just doesn't sense to me. That's a really bizarre instruction set. I, I think the I think the the way that this is done could could be a little bit better. So insert the file member into archive with underscore replace. The operation differs from Q in that any previously existing members are deleted if their names match. Okay, well, maybe I don't want that. Maybe I just want the quick append. Q. Worst. Ah, that's just the worst. Oh, but it says the modifiers A, B, and I don't affect that operation. Okay, so it looks like we're stuck with maybe the R thing again. Give it a go. So we'll do AR space R and A. We should be able to say now, so we want to do this after easy.yaml. We'll add a file called, hold on, let me get a list of files, index.css. That's a good one. And it tells me that that's not going to work because, um, oh, I know why. Because I didn't give it the archive name. That's my fault. So AR space RA space myarchive.a, then easy YAML is my rel po position, and then index.css member that I want to add to the archive. Again, not happy. It says that the file format is not recognized when I give it that, when I give it that, that, that combination. Okay, so we're going to look at the info page again here, and we're going to look at the, the requirements, and it looks like the rel position comes before the archive name. So we're going to do that again. AR RA easy yaml myarchive.a index.css and that time now we'll do uh, art again on myarchive.a and exactly as we had hoped easy.yaml then index then hello which is perfect because this demonstrates for instance that we're not just doing things in alphabetical order because otherwise it should have been hi this is clearly ih so we put that index.css exactly in that and it worked pretty well uh in addition to A, there's also B for before. There's C to create the archive, um, and it says the specified archive is always created if it did not exist when you request an update. But a warning is issued unless you specify in advance that you expect to create it by using this modifier. So the create is kind of like a, um, almost, I guess, like a no clobber kind of flag. It's a, a thing that you might want to add, really for, for, 
I guess, yeah, for interactive or verbose mode. And I'm not exactly sure why it would, you know, it's just, I just feel like AR is using letters that just have no equivalent. It's it's as if though the author of AR, who is probably almost certainly a lot smarter than me, uh, but it does seem like the author of the a of AR had, had never used any other archiving tool. And, uh, and that that does admittedly puzzle. Like, why doesn't it? Why isn't it using things that tar would, or 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 just abbreviations that that I don't know, zip or or seven zip or anything, any other thing would would use? And to me, I just feel like all of these letters stand for something that I would have never associated with anything. Like Q for quick append, A for after, B for before. I know that does seem pretty darn intuitive once you once you realize, okay, these are modifiers, not operation. But D for delete rather than decompress, just Weird things like that. It just feels a little bit off. But, well, T, T is the same. Tar T is the same as RT. So that's kind of nice. Um, that said, a lot of this, I think, is down to unfamiliarity on my part. Um, I will say that that man page is still confusing, though. I, I do believe that the way that they explain how to... Well, certainly just sort of the basics. You know, I, I think there's a lot of value. Here's what I'm trying to say. There's a lot of value in sh in demonstrating to a person to a user, kind of just a proof of concept or a hello world kind of example. And especially in the case of AR, I think it's it's reasonable to expect that users are going to open the documentation trying to do one of two things the first time they open the documentation. They're going to want to either create an archive or they're going to want to unarchive an existing art. That's probably 90% of the time when someone first opens up AR, the man or info page for AR, I'll bet those are the two activities. You might have, there might be a contingency out there who's like, oh, I just want to list the files first. I'd like to see what's in this archive before I go de-archiving de, um, it, un, un, un extra, extracting it, whatever, unarchive. But generally, I think at least one ought to have an example of how to create an archive and how to extract, or, or rather, unarchive an archive. In, in, in all of the documentation, like the man page, the info page, website, whatever, it should be there. Because that's just the obvious thing. And it also gives, that kind of example gives you, that unlocks the key of syntax. And you might think, well, the syntax is already unlocked. There is literally a legend for the syntax at the top of the file. It's called synopsis, and it tells you exactly. And yet, as you see, it doesn't quite tell you exactly. Those are my thoughts, I guess, on on documentation. And um, I guess I have frequent thoughts about documentation, which maybe maybe is fair, maybe is not fair. Next up is AF, which I mean, this is the one of the stars of Ben Utils. This is of of all the things contained in Ben Utils. It is AS and LD that are named specifically in the documentation as kind of the reason for the package to exist in the first place. So this is a big deal, and that's why I'm saving it for the last I don't know 10, 15 minutes of the podcast, I guess. But I, I will say that there's the the info page makes it deceptively. You think it's more complex than it actually is. I mean, I'm sure it's very complex, but in terms of like your options when you're using it, a lot of those options are very specific to a, sp a certain architecture, so a lot of it you can just kind of filter out. Okay, so AS is actually a, a, a component in a longer process that conveniently GCC usually abstracts away from us very, very nice. So in order to see what AS does, I have to step through each thing that GCC normally does as as, a, as part of the whole sequence of compiling software on, on your behalf. Um, but in this case, that wouldn't that wouldn't work. We, we, we need to get away from GCC and do all of this stuff manually. Now, there's a reason GCC does this normally, and uh, so it, it's not going to be super pleasant to have to do it manually, and so I'm going to keep it super, super simple. And 
in order to keep it simple, we're going to do a, a, an easy little hello world application in C with just one include. And that's very significant because you start including two or three things and suddenly your, your line count jumps up by orders of magnitude, like from 800 to 20,000. The libraries that you have to include become more complex. None of that is any fun, so we're not going to do it. We're going to keep it very simple with hello hello.c, and that is hash include, angle bracket standard, io.h, angle bracket, int main, parentheses void, close parentheses, curly brace, printf, quote, uh, parentheses rather, quote, hello world, um, end line character, so that's the backslash n, close quote, close parentheses, uh, semicolon, and then return zero, semicolon, and then end curly brace. And that's it. That's the that's the program that I'm going to compile. Well, first, I'm not going to compile it first. Point of order, I am going to run it through a C preprocessor. That is the CPP command. That's not included in binutils. We're cheating. We're, we're using things that, aren't, that isn't in this package just so we can get up to AS, the GNU assembler. And, spoiler alert, we're going to also cover the binutils command LD, which is the link. Okay, so first, CPP. C preprocessor. That's CPP, no relation to C++. It is the C preprocessor, and I'm going to run CPP against hello.c. I'm going to redirect the output into hello.i. And if you look at the results of that, hello.i, you see that um, it's sort of your, it's the code, but broken out into, with, with a bunch of new uh, definitions and a bunch of new, a bunch more source code included in the file. How much more? wc-l hello.i is 855 lines compared to the hello.c of 7 lines. Now like I say, this is a sim this is the the simplest possible program in C that we can deal with and that went from 7 to 855 lines. I kid you not with three includes my debug sample application that I used for the Hacker Public Radio episode on the new debugger blew up from like 27 lines to 20,000 lines. Anyway, we have that processed now, so we have this hello.i file we need to do something with. And the thing that we're going to do with it is get some assembler code in order to uh, process the assembler code with GNU assembler. So. The way that we do that is with just GCC. And there's a function of GCC, GCC-F. And if I do a man GCC real quick and search for dash S, it takes me here. So it says stop after the stage of compilation proper. Do not assemble. The output is in the form of an assembler code file, non-assembler input file. Yep, that's what we want. So we're going to just do GCC da uh, space dash capital S hello.i. Now if I do an ls in my folder, I see that I now have a file called hello.s. And if I do a less on hello.s, I see that I've got a similar code. Never seen it before, you can look at it. It's pretty weird stuff, but that's what we needed for GNU Assembler. So this is where we come in. GNU Assembler AS, we can we can use that to process assembler files and produce an object file. An object file is a piece of a C application. So sometimes when you're compiling a very complex application, hello world not being one of them normal, um, GCC creates, has to create object files that then get put together into a singular binary. And, and it has to do it modularly like that because sometimes things get compiled before other things or there's a dependency that that this thing required, but it hasn't been built yet, and so we have to wait for that to, to be built. So it's, it's these bits and pieces, these objects. We can create an object file from this 
with GNU AS. So AS hello.s and then dash O for our output and we're gonna create a hello.o file. Did that work? If I do an ls, yes it did. I've got a hello dot o file. So once again, hello.o itself doesn't, um, that, that's still not executable. Like if I do file hello.o, it's, uh, it is an elf 64-bit file. It's, uh, looks pretty useful to the untrained eye, but it's just, it's, it's not something that we can actually run. Um, yeah, like I'll, I'll put, put, um, put an executable bit on it and still can't, cannot execute binary file exec format error. So, this is not useful to us yet. And that is exactly where LD comes in, which is the GNU linker. LD combines a number of object and archive files, relocates their data, and ties up symbol reference. Usually the last step in compiling a program is running LD. Now there's a, there's a language um, that LD understands, and we're not going to get into any of that because I don't know any of it. This is just exactly what LD does. So I'll do LD dash static, get statically, dash O hello. So we're going to create a binary in our current directory. Let me make sure I don't have an old one lying around. No, I don't. Uh, we're going to create a binary in the current directory called hello. Now, in order to get there, we have to link, we have to point LD to a bunch of libraries. Uh, and we want one place that we want it to be able to find libraries is slash USR slash lib64 slash GCC slash eight x86 underscore 64 dash slackware dash linux slash 5.5.0 now if you're on a different system that, that's going to be a different path for you because uh this is obviously relative slackware specific that word slackware dash linux um but it, it'll be something like that on on whatever system you happen to be on uh and then we'll do space slash user lib64 slash crt1.0 so that's an object file that's on your system that provides a bunch of c functions slash usr slash lib64 slash crti dot o um, I guess we should also throw in our actual object file, hello.o. I'm um, not really sure why it took me so long to realize that. And then we'll also do um, user 60, uh, lib64 slash crtn.o. And technically speaking, that's kind of, well, oh, dash lc. Uh, technically, that's that's really enough, but because we're using GCC 5 and above, from what I can tell, uh, you have to do a, a couple of extra things. So. You do a dash dash start group, dash dash start dash group, then dash lc, and then dash lgc, then dash lgc underscore eh, and then dash dash end dash, and that's just, it has something to do with the way gcc is looking for uh, itself, I think. You have to, like, sort of group gcc-related libraries together in this special place or something, I'm not sure. I read about it and then forgot. Um, and now if I do an ls, sure enough I have a little hello world, or hello binary dot slash hello hello done so that's what gcc is doing for you when you when you compile some c code. it does the c preprocessor generates some assembly code assembler code gnu assembler compiles the assembler code into an object file ld takes that object file combines it with other really really low level object files to make a complete runnable binary for your system that's pretty much all i know that's it that's as good as it gets for me because there there's a bunch of stuff here that goes much much deeper much more technically detailed and it is a complex subject so if you if you look into that and if you look at too too deep you'll get very angry people on the internet telling you that you should never run ld yourself and that gcc is the only thing that should ever run ld it's really an interesting um, thing it, it's it, there's a bunch of stuff to look into but um i got i got other packages to uh 
to go over. I can't I can't spend all day on AS and LD. That's as much AS and LD as we we really really need. So and now we have it. So that is uh, GNU assembler, GNU linker, and whatever else we covered at the beginning of the episode. Oh, adder two line and the other thing I guess. Um, that's it. That's 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 a couple of things out of bin utils. Like I say, AS and LD are kind of the stars of that package, so technically kind of covered the must the must haves of bin utils. But there's a bunch of other u- little utilities that we'll we'll touch on next time, including exciting ones like NM, which I probably should have covered already, actually. But anyway, uh, I didn't, and so we will. So come back next time for more bin utils. listening to the GNU World Order AUGcast. This has been Klaatu. You can reach me on IRC. I'm on the Freenode network usually in channels such as AUGcast Planet, Slacker Media, Slackware, a couple of others. My nick on IRC is not Klaatu. You can also reach me lately on Mastodon. My username there is at Klaatu at Mastodon.xyz. Of course, you can email me at klatu at member.fsf.org. That's klatu at member.fsf, as in Free Software Foundation.org. And of course, you can visit my various websites, gnuworldorder.info and slackermedia.info. I will see you next time. Tastes like rocket fuel.